0: Well, this year we started out with talking through the selfie series, of which you see the set design still behind me, of course. For seven weeks we talked about these, these three ideas, and I believe these three ideas that were mentioned during the selfie series are, are really the launching pad for us into the rest of this year. And the three ideas that that whole series was about, and this is going to be three common themes throughout the rest of this whole year, No difference today than in the next series that starts next Sunday. But the three ideas that that series talked about was once we have a a more full or complete picture of what our identity is in Christ, what the gospel says our identity is, then it will lead us to an openness with God, an openness with others, that we can then, out of that openness, then we can live lives of courage. That means we can step farther we can go beyond where we've ever gone before because we know who we are in Christ and because we've availed ourselves we have opened ourselves up to to what god says for us and now we've opened ourselves up to other people we've allowed some of those past fears the guilt and shame to be uh, just through the power of the gospel to be eliminated from our life so that we can live in victory and when you live in victory you find in yourself the ability to be more courageous than ever before. So we took our openness, lent it to courage. And then my last desire and hope, and I believe the Lord's desire for the last, um, the introduction through the last series was that we would ultimately find our purpose. And that's so cliche. And when, when you sit in rows like this, it's like it's so familiar for you to hear someone like me get up and talk and say the word purpose. But my hope, my desire, is that we have dug into the last seven weeks of content that you would ultimately start believing something different about your purpose, that it's not just a cliche, that it's not just the title of a a bestseller, that ultimately that you would start to understand your gospel identity is shaped in such a way that there is a work for you to do that no one else is supposed to, that God has marked you for a defined purpose for you taking into account your brokenness, taking into account your past, but shaping it for a better future. 33, approximately 33 years ago, this church started, 1983. Many of you, I look around, many of you were not even alive. I was. I was a little kid, um, snot-nosed kid at this time. But there were people, 33 years ago, who started to believe. They started to believe that Not that Dublin just needed another church, they started to believe that, that there was something missing in our community that that there was a group of believers, if they were centered together around the gospel, that they started to believe that there could be a difference that was made in Dublin, not just to put up a building, not just to create uh, artwork, not just to sing songs, not just to preach a message, not just to put up a sign, not just to put ads around to, to advertise themselves. But they started to believe that that group of people centered around, originally just started around a Bible study, but they started to believe something different of God. And that Bible study then shaped into, they started regular meetings as a church. They didn't even know what it looked like. So they started meeting in just various different places. There were so many different places around this this city. They started to meet. And they met for a little while and then they, then they kind of grew a little and then they would go beyond and then uh, they would rent a place and then they would move beyond and they would have to leave that place to go to another place and eventually they started to dream and they started to believe that, something, that, that this, this group, that they, they, they could actually have their own property instead of just paying rent for someone else's. And through such generosity of a core group of people a much smaller group than what you see sitting in this room right now. As a matter of fact, that that group was smaller than what you would see sitting in the middle section. But they started to believe, and through their just amazing generosity, this five acres was purchased. And they started to believe and started to think and started to strategize and started to just do things a little bit different and then constructed a building through blood, sweat, and tears. And then after the building was... Form. They still really didn't know all of what to do. And somewhere in the journey there, they hired their first full-time pastor. And he was here for a long time. Still a great person in the community today. And he he, through the power of God, brought the church to a point and then, and then he could not serve in that capacity anymore. Then they hired someone else and Colby Kinzer came in and he had a different vision and the church had a different vision and it kind of went in a different direction than it had before and kind of continued to believe God and trust God and people's lives started to be changed. But then the church decided about five and a half years ago that they would really do something different. Because the person that, that they would call to be pastor was nothing like the first two pastors. Nothing to say, there's, I'm not speaking ill against them, they're great men of God. But I'm just not like them. But the core group of people who were, who were here at the time believed that the direction of the church had to change. And they started to believe in this crazy guy from Illinois. That he was speaking a message from God that, that the vision that he would have would be something that they needed to embrace. And they started to believe. And they started to serve and we started to dream. And in the midst of this five and a half years, we've seen some downtimes. We've seen some bleak times. We've watched our finances go down, 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 down. And then we've watched God bring the, those finances back up not to the place where they were, but we've seen God do amazing things. But what we've never seen is we've never seen God do, in the life of this church, we've never seen God do what He has been doing for the last year here at Dublin Bible Church. And He's doing it through you. He's doing it through your relationships. He's doing it through the relationships that you have with other people, and you are leveraging those relationships for the glory of God and the love of Jesus Christ. And you are daring to bring them into this place to share your friends with your church family. And that takes courage. It takes a lot of guts. I've met their pastor. It really does. <laughs> But it takes courage to leverage something for the gospel and to do it in a way that, that you are so compelled that you know that you have to. And we come to a place in the life of our church right now that's so exciting and kind of scary. As I look around and I, and I see you, many of you I didn't know three years ago. Many of you I, did, I didn't know a year and a half ago. And there are many people who aren't even here today that I would say the same thing about. But what God is doing in and through you is something that I believe, not just on my own authority, but the authority of of the rest of the senior leadership team, the elders here at this church. We believe that God is not done with us. That he's He's still moving in us, not to fill a building, but that we would gather as a group. And that we would bring the message that we hear and that we experience through this shared community that we would bring this message that we would send it out to our community so that our community could be a better place. So maybe that that all of that goes on in our community maybe we could, that the people of God if they were united under the cause of the gospel could really make a difference. And it's not cliche. I believe it's going to be reality. But for us to do it It's going to take every one of us. It's going to take more than the people who are paid to do the ministry here. It's going to take whatever level of service that you're at right now. And we have amazing volunteers at this church. We totally do. But whatever level you're at, you have to up at one level. If you're not serving, you have to find your niche of service. You have to. You have to. Theodore Roosevelt what I think is one of the best quotes of all time, he said these words. And I believe it speaks into what would be required of us as the people of God. This is from his man in the arena speech. And he says this, It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or the man or woman who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who at best knows the end of triumph in high achievement, and who at worst, at worst, if he fails, he fails while daring greatly. I want that to be what people say about this moment in time about Dublin Bible Church. That we may not have done everything right, but we sought God, we sought after the vision that He would have for us. We embraced that vision, even if we didn't do it the best that we possibly could have. But we would have gone down and said, you know what, by the grace of God, we dared greatly to make a difference in our community. person we're going to look at today in the Old Testament... He modeled this perfectly. If you have your Bible, please open it up to Nehemiah. If you're not familiar with where Nehemiah is, um, if you go to uh, your Old Testament, start at Genesis, just flip through a little bit. Once you see first Kings, second kings, first, second Samuel, first and second Chronicles, um, those are history books. It's just after that. Nehemiah also is considered a history book. The big idea, my hope, my desire, at the end of this talk, we're going to be looking at all of Nehemiah chapter 4, is that we would start to embrace this reality that our availability, not our ability, determines our usability. That our availability, opening ourselves up to whatever it is that God would have for us to dare into, That our availability, that we would, wherever you are right now in the gospel work here at the church, whether it's non-existent or whether you're, wherever you're serving is, do you go up one notch from where you are right now? I'm not asking for a miracle within you. Jesus does miracles, okay? I'm asking you to just understand, and you're gonna see this in the text, that it's availability, making yourself available, not your ability, not, we're not looking for perfect people. Not gonna find one around here. Not gonna look we're not looking for one, not gonna find one, but your availability, not your ability, will ultimately determine your usability for God. Nehemiah modeled this so perfectly because he is someone who He didn't have to do what he did. He was kind of living the Cush life. He was a cupbearer to the king and he was living in exile. So a lot of, of other Jewish people living in exile were kind of working but under the, the, the authority of this king. But Nehemiah had kind of risen through the ranks, and he was a cupbearer because we don't have those today. I'll tell you what that is. A cupbearer was somebody who would sample the king's wine or food to make sure it's not poisoned. So a good day at work is he got to live, and a bad day, he would die, okay, <laughs> ultimately, so he apparently had a lot of good days because he's still alive. And so he he receives this word that there was the, the two other exile groups had been sent back into the homeland of Jerusalem. But he receives word. And when he receives the word of the condition of the city of Jerusalem, he also, with it, receives a burden. And it's the kind of burden you can't sleep off. It's the kind of burden that, that kind of comes up in every conversation. It's kind of the burden that, that, that every day you, kind of, you you start daydreaming about this burden. It's the kind of thing you just can't ignore. Because it's, it just seems like this burden for Nehemiah. And maybe you have a burden like this in your life right now. Maybe even me saying that, you're like, yeah, that's kind of how I am about this thing. But this type of burden, you just can't ignore. It always seems to creep its way back up. And Nehemiah was so burdened that he decided, and God inspired him to do it, to go out and lead another exile group, to go back to the homeland of Jerusalem. He was so burdened that the condition of the walls were down, the condition of the city was down, the spiritual condition of the people in Jerusalem was pitiful. And that burden led him to do something. He knew that he had to do something. As a matter of fact, just I think it just it lends to the credibility of Nehemiah. One of the amazing things about his story is he actually told the king. He said, "If you let me go back to my homeland, he says, I'll actually return back to my service as the cupbearer, as your cupbearer." So the king had nothing to lose. So he Nehemiah leveraged that, and he says, I'm not trying to be the king. I'm not trying to create a revolt. I'm not trying to do anything against you. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help my people. I have this burden that I cannot let go of, and I have to do something with it. So he begged the king to go back to Jerusalem, and the king allowed him, on the condition that he would one day return. So Nehemiah starts the work, and this he gets everybody involved. But anytime you do something for the glory of God, anytime that you try, and you know this, anytime that you try and make a difference, it seems like at the same point, and, and what a friend of mine says, when you, when you go to a new level with Christ, it's like you almost get like a new devil, right? New level, new devil. And with Nehemiah, he's burdened. He has to go back to the city. He agrees to go back to the city. But the moment he does so, he has opposition, So as we pick it up in Nehemiah 4, what we're going to do is we are going to read all of chapter 4, but we're not going to read all of it at the same time. We're going to kind of read it, and we're going to just kind of hit a trail marker, some verses along the way. And what I believe you're going to see is um, how the story in this chapter specifically speaks right into where we are as a church. Verse 1. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, these are people who are, this is someone who would be an enemy of Nehemiah, the opposition. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. So he's he's getting all these people all revved up. So not only is it just the people in that area in Sanballat, now he has the army of Samaria that's actually working against Nehemiah. Kind of a big deal. He said, what are these feeble, like weak Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? He's mocking them. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? You see the condition of the city. Tobiah, the Ammonite, this is another one of the enemies, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their stone walls, mocking them again. But look, and this being like Nehemiah's journal, look how they respond to this opposition. Look how they respond. They respond in prayer. Hear us. Oh our God! For we are despised, turn their insults back on their own heads, give them over as plunder in the in the land of captivity, do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from their sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders, so they prayed now they didn't you don't, you don't want that that prayer prayed against you, right? like nobody wants that, like yeah, could I have some plunder like come on um. He says in verse 5, do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins. He was like, God, I understand that there's some work that needs to be done here, and I'm not just going to put my finger in their face and make this worse. What I'm going to do is I'm going to step back, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to do what only you can do. But look at the next verse. What did they do? I mean, they have opposition. There's people against them. What, what's Nehemiah to do? People are saying that they're just feeble, that the, the city is just in a rubble. What in the world are they going to do? It may surprise you. It says in verse 6, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. So even in the face of this opposition, and here's, here's some things that, that maybe, uh, that may have been his opposition, and honestly, this may have been some things that were, uh, you're kind of thinking in your mind about the direction of the church that has been explained to you over the last couple of weeks. Here's some, uh, here's some things that I believe would have been valid criticisms, both for Nehemiah and valid criticisms for what we're doing right now. And I just want to acknowledge them before you. Here's some valid criticisms that I believe would have happened. You don't have the, the necessary experience to do what it is that God is leading us to do. And just as Tobiah and Sanballat and the rest of that group, they would have said that to Nehemiah. You don't have the experience to do what you're about to do. And Nehemiah would have said, you're exactly right. He's like, I know, how to, I know what good wine tastes like. Um, I know cheap wine, I know good wine, and I know a good day at work is living. That's what I know. But instead, Nehemiah, he, he's not deterred and he doesn't really take the bait on any of those things. He just does what he's supposed to do. He just simply does what he's supposed to do. So, although they, there was this criticism that would have been valid criticism, maybe you just don't have the necessary finances. Of course, he didn't. He wasn't rich. He had left his life in the kingdom, in the Cush living of of the kingdom to live in a foreign land in Jerusalem. Sort of as their governor, but certainly not as their king. So finances were an issue. Maybe uh, some things that I've, I've, honestly, great conversations that that I've had with some of you. is is You've said, how in the world are we going to pull off this whole two-service thing? And, and the most truest answer that I can give you is I have no idea. Like I mean, we're trusting God. This is one step at a time. You may say, you know what? Oh, I look around and we just don't we just don't have enough people to do what it is that we're trying to do. And I would say you're right. That's a valid criticism. You may sit back and say, I just I just don't know if I, I just I just don't know. I mean we. We, we've never tried this before. How do you know it's going to work? And I can tell you, on, on the authority of the senior leadership team, we've never done it. We have no idea if it's going to work. And that's awesome and scary at the exact same time. Like, we, we are thrilled that God is calling us to go and to create a second service. We are thrilled. Like any time that you know this, any time that you're used of God in a great or a a small capacity is is a wonderful and fulfilling thing. But some of you, you may have questions. So by the way, at the end of this talk, there's going to be a time of Q&A. So if you have questions, write them down. You can ask me right after the service. Any question you want. So, although Nehemiah, and much the same as us, we sit back and say, you know what? Ah, the, the things that Sambal and Tobiah were saying were true. And Nehemiah was like, yeah, the, you know, I, I I could take the bait and I could like be doing all of that. But if you look in verse 6, Nehemiah said, okay, we took their, their criticisms. They were pretty valid. Everything they said was true. They said it in a harsh way, but it was true. So... In response to that, he says, So they rebuilt the wall till it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. The only way that we are going to be able to do what it is that God is calling for us to do is if every one of us embrace the vision that God is calling us to. Every one of us. That we have to believe and we have to act and we have to serve and we have to dare greatly with all of our heart. But you know what? This is the beauty of the church. I looked up the word together, because I believe the word together is the strength of the early church, as the Holy Spirit was sent out, and they were just together, they got it through the power of the Holy Spirit, just united them together, so I just have some scriptures I want to read, um, just from, a lot of them are from the book of Acts, about the word together, And look what the the characteristics that that marked the early church, and I want it to mark us, if we're to do things with all of our heart. Acts 1.14 says, they all joined together in prayer. They were people of prayer. They were people of prayer. They were together in one place. That means they, they gathered in one place to be encouraged, to hear the word, to experience the word, to do the, the Christian life. Not as individuals, but as a community. It says every day they met that, they, that they met, they actually ate together. So that's more intimate than even just this, this setting. This setting important, but it's even more intimate. They were involved in one another's lives. And they, in, in 3 John 8, it says that they worked together for the truth. They worked together. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, and I think it speaks into why they did all these things together, because they also understood that they would be spending all of eternity together. That they would be spending all of eternity together. They worked with all of the heart. Let's continue reading verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone on ahead, that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So they decided, Tobiah, Sanballat, the Arabs... They decided that they would double down to try and uh, hit this opposition, to be the opposition to the rebuilding of the, the walls in Jerusalem. Because they knew that if the walls around Jerusalem were built, that not that there would just be another kingdom, but that those people would have a level of protection. And they knew that if there was that level of protection, keeping uh, protecting the people from the inside, from the people from the outside, they knew that they would not be able to control them like they had done before. They knew that they wouldn't be able to manipulate them like they had done before. But look what Nehemiah and the rest of the people who believed that God was using them did next. Verse 9. But we prayed to our God. We prayed to our God. And we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So we prayed to our God. And we posted a guard. This is a great example of God's sovereignty and personal responsibility. This is a wonderful example that you see that God is, they understood that God was in control of all of that, but they also knew that there was a part that they were supposed to play. Look what it says. It says that they rebuilt the wall, right? They were together in doing so, but now they prayed and they're trusting God. And in verse 9, it's not only did they pray and trust God, but then they posted a guard day and night. They knew, said, you know what, God, I'm trusting that you have a plan for all this, that you're in control of this, but I also understand my responsibility is I'm going to post a guard day and night to protect my family. That is so not something that you would expect to hear as a person of faith. You you wouldn't expect, you would totally expect a prayer part. But you wouldn't expect them to say, you know what, it's not just in case. It's not that they were saying, well, God, if you don't come through, I got my sword just in case. That's not what's happening here. They were praying, they were trusting God with the whole thing and said, you know what, God, I know you're in charge. But even though you're in charge, I realize I have something I'm supposed to do. So I'm supposed to be a guard for my family, for my my loved ones, or for my fellow believers. This is something that I'm supposed to do. And they were all in to do it. They were all in to do it. Prayer is not an excuse for inactivity. Prayer gives us the encouragement for our activity. Prayer is not the excuse for our inactivity. Oftentimes this is what happens. People of God don't pray and don't seek God like they need to. They'll say, oh, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Let me pray for that. But they don't pray. Prayer is never to be an excuse For your inactivity, prayer is the encouragement for your activity. Prayer is the thing that just creates and just helps bind that burden within you that and then strengthen you to say, you know what? By the power of God, I'm trusting that God has a sovereign plan and I also understand I have a responsibility in the mix. And prayer encourages us to do the work of the gospel. Prayer is never supposed to be an excuse for your inactivity. This, I believe, totally rings true in this this text. And it says that we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. You do what you can do. And trust God to do what you can't do. You do what's in your power to do. Your availability, not your ability, determines your usability. You do what you know you can do. You know what you know you can do if you choose to do it? You can clear a time off your schedule to be involved in a community group. You can do that. I'll, I'll just be really honest with you. Uh, we're all busy, right? I'm busy. You're busy. It's a matter of priority. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. We have enough of that going around. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. That's just the facts. You can do what you want to do. You choose the availability that you are availing yourself to. It's not a matter of your ability that lends to your usability. It's your availability. So do what you can do. Trust God with what you can't do. This, I think, is is the condition starting in verse 10. Nehemiah 4.10 If there was... One reason why this is the text that is chosen. If there was one reason, I believe it's found in verse 10. And this is my burden. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. My burden is this. I've been burdened with this for some time now. There are a lot of people serving here. The actual ratio of people serving at the church is, is fantastic. It really is. And if, you, if you're currently serving in whatever capacity, I commend you. But I have to tell you, the reason why I'm so burdened with what you see is I know that this is true of us. The strength... Of the people who are currently serving is giving out. It's currently giving out. They're not saying, hey, I'm done, I'm quitting. But I realize that burnout is a reality, and I also realize that some of you can help relinquish some of that. This is my burden. My burden is not, well, man, we're going to two services. What does that look like? I believe that that you are going to invite people and, and eventually we're going to fill two services because I believe what God's doing in you. But my burden is that the strength of the labors is giving out. It is. And my burden is for you. For you to take one step In your service. To take one step in your commitment financially. For you to take one step and maybe find your area of ministry. For you to take one step and get into greater community. Just that one step. What is it that God wants you to do? As your pastor. As somebody who loves you. Who believes well of you. The strength of the labors is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. There's so much work to do under the current circumstances. We can't be really secure and do two services. We're trusting God and our burden is to share this with you so that you would seek God and that you would maybe be the answer to that and you would find your ministry. That's what we want. That's what we desire. Verse 11. You see another audience here. Also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right here among them. We will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. People are starting to be overwhelmed. People are tired. They're praying, but they're still tired. Half the wall has been built to this point. They didn't stop building the wall, but they were tired. They were trusting God. And they were trusting God that that he would send supplies and manpower in the way. Again, maybe something you don't expect to see in in church. Verse 13, I love this. Um, Verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by What's the next word? Families. Posting them by families. It's not just the women, right? Well, we're at church. This is like women's land, so that's where all the women serve. No, as families. My burden, men, please look at me eye to eye. My burden is for you to set the example of service in this church. For you to set the example, not to wait for somebody else to do it, not for you to say, well, I'm busy, I can't, I've got this, or my wife's going to do it, or I've got this responsibility. You need to avail yourself to set that awesome example for your home. They did the work by families. This is men, women, and children. I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I just want to say this. I I praise God that that both of my children serve God. I praise God that both of my children serve God. My daughter serves the DBC kids. She loves it. With the little kids, she loves it. She looked at the she looks at the mess or at the at the little teaching and she brings it before those kids. She's excited about it. She finds purpose in it. She finds hope and being able to and just all these awesome things to be able to share with the rest of those little kids. And I'll tell you what, she's in 7th grade. How old are you? She's a small girl. She leads the group. Yeah. And you know what? It's not because she had this awesome... Ability and saying, you know what? Well, I've got this gift and I took this spiritual gift assessment. And it says I can do this and this and this. And I've been successful at work and I've been successful here. She's in seventh grade. She availed herself to the work of God and she's doing it. Again, not tuning on my own horn. She is her own person. My son is no different. We didn't coax him into going on the mission field thinking, you know what? Boop, finally, he's out of the house. We didn't do that he opened himself up to go on the mission field and he's doing it question is are you that's that's no reflection on myself or my wife they are their own people they availed themselves to the service of god for the glory of god and you know what they found it and you can too that's a good thing and i believe that's what you want they posted themselves by families at the end of verse 13 with their swords and spears and bows. After I, looked, uh, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. The reason why I'm telling you these things is not so we can just eventually build a building that we can fill fill multiple services so that people would sit back and say, wow, look at Dublin Bible Church. The reason why I tell you these things and the reason why we have to go to two services is because as long as there's one coworker of yours, as long as there's one family member of yours, as long as there's one person that you would meet at Kroger or Walmart, as long as there's one, we need to create space for unchurched and dechurched people to come in here. So they can receive the gospel. As long as there's one, those doors need to swing open. As long as there's one, you need to avail yourself to to the glory of God and the service of God. As long as there's one. As long as there's one. You've got something to do. I've got something to do. My work is no greater than yours. We're all on the same, we're all on the same page level here. We're all on the same page. We're all on the same level. We all have something to do. I'm not looking for a a superiority list here. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Are you? When the enemies, always enemies, always a critic... Verse 15, when our enemies heard that they were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of the men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all of the people in Judah who were rebuilding or who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Can you believe this? If you are ambidextrous, this is your deal right here. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. That's like a backup plan. So he's got got a weapon in one hand, he's got a service tool in the other, and just in case either one of those fails, he's got a sword. That's pretty sweet, going medieval. But it says... Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore a sword on his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. See, this is such an integral part of it because... At this point, Nehemiah was also burdened. He started to realize there was some work going on on the wall over here and some work going on on the wall over here and some work going on on the wall over here. And he knew that all of those bits of work were important, but they weren't together. So as, as this one was doing their work, and they, they posted a guard, and literally there would be somebody working, doing what they're supposed to, and there was a guard posted looking the opposite way to make sure that nobody was going to attack them from the rear. That Picture this. That's what's going on, but that's going on over here, over here, Over here and over here. All of which is important. But Nehemiah says, but the person with the trumpet, because Nehemiah is the leader at this point. Nehemiah says, the person with the trumpet is going to be with me. Because the person with the trumpet, if he were to blow the trumpet, all of the people would gather together. And Nehemiah wanted him close as he's looking out at the affairs of the people and he's like ah i know their work is important but but they're kind of isolated over here and they're kind of isolated over here and they're kind of isolated over here he says so we need something to basically bring all of them together we as a church last year we launched community groups and that's the reason why we launched them and they're pretty well attended but I'm believing God is going to even draw more people into that. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a crazy percent. Crazy. Crazy by faith. One of the things that came out of the, the leadership summit that we had last month at Little Oak Mulgee is I'm believing God is going to provide for us, using you, a 90% adult, particip- adult participation rate community groups. Because as each of us does our own thing, we have DBC kids, we have Arise, we have the AV team, we have the band, we have the soup kitchen ministry, we have the servant ministry, we have the senior leadership team, we have the creative team, we have the cafe and community team, we have all of guest services, we have... All the, the parade event, we have that those seem to be all different things and, and all great activities. And as much as we do the skeet shoot, which was amazing, love the smell of gunpowder, it was phenomenal yesterday, we had a lot of it. And it was great. But as much and awesome as that is, and the ladies' event that happened on Friday, we need something that will consistently bind us together. If not, we'll just have the guest services team. Back there with the about 35 kids who consistently come to DBC Kids, which is a lot. They'll just have the DBC Kids team back then, and when then arise, they just meet on Sunday night. So they just have their little their little team on Sunday night. And the cafe and community, I mean, it's awesome. Just the service they provide. Mo, you do a fantastic job at that, by the way. Uh, you really, really do. Not just because you bring me coffee to my di- yeah. We can do that. Not just because you bring coffee the way I like it to my desk on Sunday mornings, although that really helps. And, but we need something to bind us together so we're not just a bunch of isolated groups doing isolated work. We need something to bind us together. And I believe in God that and one of the burdens is for us to have community groups to bind us together. The amazing story with Nehemiah. And this group of people. Is they understood something. That. We as believers have to understand too. Nehemiah. And he set such a great example. For his crew and for us. Available. His. His purpose in coming. And the thing that he was able to do remarkably well. Is to express that. Availability, not ability, determines our usability. Because everybody was involved. And they worked together with all their heart. They didn't have to be passionate about wall building. It isn't that they had a wall building seminar. They're like, hey, grab some mud, grab some rocks. You found something to do. Grab a cart, wheel them over. What are you going to do? You're going to bring the water. Awesome. It isn't that they needed to be all passionate about it, but they had to be burdened enough to make themselves available to the work. I know that's what you want. I know that's what you want. Because many of you have invited your unchurched and dechurch people here. Many of you have leveraged those relationships. And you've dared greatly to bring them here but don't stop. As God is going to continue to use us as a group and us as individuals. I believe the days coming are even greater greater than the days that we've seen. But the workers are tired. The workers are tired. Welcome to my burden. Are you the answer to relieve it? Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church.